So uh, yes, welcome to Super Bowl Sunday. I know I lo might look a little uncomfortable to you up here in this uh, in this in this shirt. You know, it doesn't it doesn't quite fit well. You know, it's it's a little difficult. I did lose a bet uh, to Mohinder, and uh, this is my consequence. So my loss is your gain if you're a Steelers fan. So it's great to to be together. But my wife is amazing. She, uh, she had my back, literally, she's wearing uh, cowboys. She doesn't like the cowboys, but she's, she's representing for me today, and I appreciate it. That's love, right? Just give her a round of applause. She's amazing, right? Thank you. <laughs> Amen. Um, but it is awesome to be together again. Thank you, everyone. I know it has been a little bit wild the past couple weeks. It's kind of like Sunday morning. So where are we meeting <laughs> this day and, and checking online? And sometimes the website says this, and sometimes it says that, and, and figuring out all the details. And so thank you guys for being flexible with that. Hopefully uh, and prayerfully, we'll be uh, regularly in person every Sunday uh, going forward. But you never know. So stay tuned. Uh, hopefully it's helping us all with our communication as a, as a family together. Um, thank you, Harry, for that uh, really profound message today. I appreciate just thinking about Jesus remaining on the cross and what that means for us. And it's not just to get us to do these commands, but to really win over our hearts. And it's a perfect tie-in today as we talk about what it means to be all in for Christ. I want to make one quick announcement and then we'll get started. Um, the announcement is that if you're using the restroom for any reason today, probably just for using the restroom, uh, if you go down these stairs, uh, use the restroom on the left. So your left, if you go down the stairs, to the right, we're kind of making that space just for Kids Kingdom, just to have that bathroom just for the kids. So there's a restroom on that side of the building, and that's uh, for you guys. This restroom is not for you guys. Sound good? Yeah. Amen. So those are all the details out of the way. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about Tom Brady for a second. Say, say what you will about Tom Brady. Say what you will about him. Go ahead. Say what you will. I know there's some faith. All right. All right. All right. But I, I want to I share one of his quotes from uh, his recent announcement of retiring. He said, I have always believed that the sport of football is an all-in proposition. If 100% competitive commitment isn't there, you won't succeed. And success is what I love so much about our game. Then he essentially went on to say, if I, this game deserves to be played at 100%, and if I can't go all in in that way, then I need to retire. And say what you will, but I respect that acknowledgement that this sport or this task or this endeavor deserves a certain amount of effort, and if I can't do it, then I need to, to sit back. And I think the world around us respects commitment, respects the idea of going in and, and following your passion, being 100% or being all in, as we're talking about today. The world celebrates those who go all in on their passions, those that are willing to devote themselves. And the Super Bowl, by the way, highlights this, right? All year long, the teams are making trades and figuring things out, and we kind of celebrate these teams that have gone all in and are duking it out on the field. And not just the teams, but even the commercials, even the companies are all in, right? This is what they, they spend their money on. A lot of money goes into these commercials, and it's either a hit or a miss. And they go all in, and we kind of respect that too. I don't know about you, but the next day after the Super Bowl, I'm always looking at the reviews of the commercials. Which commercial was the best? Which is kind of funny. There's no other time in my life that I would look at reviews of commercials. But the Super Bowl, there's this competition, this all-in attitude from even the company. So we kind of celebrate on a Super Bowl Sunday the attitude of being all-in. And so it seems a appropriate that uh, this is kind of the kickoff on our, of our mini-series called All In. 
We'll get to that in a second. All in. That's our, our mini-series. We have a, a three weeks that we're going to be talking about what it means to be all in. So let's define this a little bit today. To be all in is to be fully committed to a task or to an endeavor. To give or to be prepared to give all of one's energy or resources towards something. You know, not only does the world respect this kind of attitude, but God calls us to have this kind of attitude in our relationship with him as well. God longs for this kind of attitude from us. In Matthew 22, Jesus states that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But this wasn't new. This has been God's command from, from the beginning, from the Torah back in the book of Deuteronomy. Let's turn there together this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 6. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, this is the passage that Jesus is quoting. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Jesus, in repeating this in Matthew and God in sharing this in the Torah, wants it to be clear, not just that we love God, but that this saturates our life. This all-in love of God. That's why the word all is so important here. All your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. You know, your God doesn't want your leftovers. Your God doesn't settle for being an afterthought. Your God longs for, requires, and commands you to be all in for him because he made all of you. Because he has been all in for you since the very beginning. All that you have is because of him. So we must be all in in our devotion to him. There is no other way. And this kind of leads us into our series. And for our series, we're going to look at three different characters in the Bible and the way that they either did or didn't go all in for God and look at it as kind of a character study of what to do and in some ways what not to do in our devotion to our God. Next week, we're going to be talking about King Asa and the secret to success and how he was all in, fully devoted to the Lord. February 27th, we'll be talking about one of the prophets in the Old Testament. And we're going to talk about his all-in call to make a decision to follow God or not. The edge of destiny. That just has a nice ring to it, right? The edge of destiny will be February 27th. But today, instead of looking at the, the, the good examples, we're going, to, we're going to kind of go into a different territory. If you're joining us today, this is not necessarily the type of sermon we typically do. But today's sermon is, is a warning. Today's sermon is a warning for us in the way that we follow our God. We're going to look at Solomon today. We'll read that in just a second. We're going to look at King Solomon. Solomon is the epitome of a fall from grace. He had been given so much by God, and he was set up for success, yet he gradually fell out of love for God and ultimately paid a price. Let's take a look at kind of his story here together in 1 Kings 11. You guys can turn to 1 Kings 11. We'll be jumping around 1 Kings, uh, Chronicles, uh, I think just those two books in particular. But we'll be, um, we might end up in 1 Corinthians. We'll, we'll, we'll see where we, where we go the rest of the day. 1 Kings chapter 11. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. 
Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your heads, your hearts, sorry, after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Melech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. You know, this passage kind of paints this picture of what it means to fall out of love, to lose love for God. And, and Solomon is a story of, of how we don't want to end our story. And so we can learn a lot from what goes on in the life of Solomon. His story serves as a warning for us and an insight into things that can threaten our love for God. Today's title is The Autopsy of a Love Lost. An autopsy of a love lost. As we kind of break apart, how did he lose his love for God and, and piece apart what is happening? The cause of death for a man's devotion to God. So as we head into this territory, it's a little bit sobering for us, uh, but I, I really want to entreat you to take a second to pray with me as we pray together that the Holy Spirit will help discern what you need from Solomon's story. Some of you might be more guilty consciences and you're like, I've never been devoted to God in my life. What's going on? And, and maybe you just need to taper that with praise God for his grace, but what can I learn? Some of you are like, no, nah, this doesn't apply. Maybe sit with that a little bit longer and think, okay, how, how can this apply? And allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in our hearts this morning as we humbly approach God's word. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. That we have all kinds of examples, all kinds of directions in your word, God, to, to lead us to know what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing. God, I pray for sobriety this morning as we look intently into your message for us. God, that we can know uh, what it means to be fully devoted to you and also what it looks like to have that full devotion threatened. God, I know everyone here desires and deeply desires to be all in for you. Otherwise, they wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here if not for that desire. And yet I know so many things can come in and blurry that desire. And I pray that this morning we can have clear vision so that we can, as a group, God, as a church, as a, as a family, be all in for you. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's start a little bit before we get into the autopsy. We'll, later we'll get into kind of some things that were contributing factors to the love lost. And I actually, I called um, Lacey, if you remember Lacey, she, was only, she just moved about a month ago. Lacey's down in, in uh, West Virginia now. And um, she used to perform autopsies here in Pittsburgh. And so I called her, I said, I have an autopsy question. She goes, what happened? <laughs> but <laughs> I was like, it was for a sermon. She's like, okay, that's what I figured. <laughs> but um, I asked her, what are, you, what are you looking for? And one of the things that they do in an autopsy is they weigh the heart to see, okay, is, is it bigger or smaller than it should be? And by weighing the heart, they're able to see, are there things inside the heart or clots going on that shouldn't be there? I found that interesting, and of course, I just took that one piece of how she explained autopsies to kind of think about today as we weigh the heart of Solomon, as we see what were the things that divided his heart, what were the things that caused him to lose his love. But let's, let's take a look at how he started. Solomon is the son of King David. That's not King David, that's uh, I don't know what that is. It's a drawing, so it could be anybody. But that's a rendering of Solomon there. Um, 
he was the son of King David. You remember King David from uh, David and Goliath, slingshot guy? So that's David. He became king, and then he had a son through uh, Bathsheba, who originally he, he uh, was with through an, an affair, and then eventually killed her husband, and then married her, and then, um, then had a son later named Solomon. If you ever thought the Bible was boring, you're not reading it right, because there's a lot of interesting things in there, right? But so that's Solomon's kind of origin story. He grew up, and he became king. And uh, God said to David, hey, David, you cannot build my temple. Even though you've repented, you're a man after my own heart, you've shed too much blood. There's too much war going on in Israel's history. You have too much of a rap sheet, so you can't build my temple. But I will make this promise to you, your descendant will instead. So Solomon kind of inherited this high calling to dedicate and build the temple to God. The first time a temple had been built to Yahweh. So it's a pretty big deal. And uh, God promised David this. He said, you shall never fail. That's another picture of Solomon, but we'll skip through that. Uh, you shall never fail to have a successor sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk before me faithfully as you have done. So basically he says, even though you messed up, David, I'm still going to protect your lineage. And so Solomon is a part of that. But there's a stipulation if you hold to my teachings, right? If you, if you stay the course, if your descendants stay devoted to me, which, spoiler alert, we already talked about, Solomon deviates from that. And so there's lots of civil war that comes as a result of that. Anyway, eventually Solomon does build the temple and it's considered, he becomes one of the wisest, if not the wisest king in all of Israel's history. And Israel, as a result, enjoyed a long period of peace where they weren't at war. And Solomon is known for having loved God initially and having committed himself to God, to following God. Some of the Old Testament, which we'll talk about in a second, are written by Solomon. God gave him all kinds of wisdom. 1 Kings 3.12 says that, that Solomon essentially asked God for one thing. He said, make me wise. And God gave him wisdom. Uh, God favored him. Uh, it says in, in 1 Kings 11 that God had appeared to Solomon twice. You're lucky if God appeared once to you in the Bible, but Solomon got him twice. That's a good deal right there. So Solomon was favored by God. In fact, Solomon's name means loved by the Lord. His, his Hebrew name would have been Jedidiah, loved by the Lord. It's a pretty good deal. James, my name, just means uh, may the Lord protect him, which is kind of like God help him, you know, may the Lord protect him. But, but for Solomon, he's, he is Jedidiah. He is loved by the Lord. God gave him the special honor and task of building the temple. In fact, God used him to teach the church today. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. Solomon most likely contributed or at least wrote the, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. And he also wrote the, the Song of Songs book that we have in the Bible as well. So Solomon used him. He was wise. He, he loved God. He was loved by God. And that's amazing. But then we got to ask, well, what happened? So it wasn't that, that he, he never started right. He started strong. But as we know, it's not how you start how you finish. And so that leads us into this kind of autopsy report. How do you start with such love for God and lose it in the process? So let's ask a couple of questions today. When did Solomon lose his love? You guys still with me? All right, you're down for this autopsy? It's not scaring you too much? Well, even if it is, too bad. We're going to go for it. <laughs> when did Solomon lose his love? You know, it wasn't after sudden temptation. Like David or like Samson before, there were kind of immediate temptations that entered into their life. But for Solomon, it was a gradual uh, sliding slope of compromise that led to him deviating from his walk with God. He also was at a time not of turmoil or lots of war going on, but he was at a time of peace. 
which I think sometimes can contribute. When things are going well, that's sometimes when we tend to stop holding or clinging to God. He was also old. It says when he was old, it wasn't just marrying, but when he was old, he gave away, or he stopped being devoted to God and started worshiping other gods. And I think old from a spiritual perspective is any time when that initial excitement of following God begins to wear off. That could be, we could be old in our walk with God in just one year after becoming Christians. And then you pile on years where, where we, the excitement of following Christ begins to fade. So all those things, I think, if you look at Solomon's life, all those things can threaten our devotion. But Solomon also had a lot of warnings in his life that he ignored along the way. Let's take a look at some of them. David warned him this in 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9. Let me turn my timer back on for everyone's sake. Amen. <laughs> David warned him first in 1 Chronicles 28. It says, And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. So, so he had direction from his father. God even gave him some direction in 1 Kings chapter 9. It's not on the screen, but I'll, I'll read it for you. It says, But if you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I've given you, and you go off and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut you off, I will cut off Israel, excuse me, from the land I have given them, and I will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will become a byword and an object of ridicule among the people. So God even warns him, if you stray from the path, there will be a consequence, not just for you, but for all of Israel. So Solomon was aware of the need. He was aware of the task before him and aware of the risks when choosing compromise, which he later does. We know he was aware because he wrote these words in Proverbs 29, verse 1. Whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. It's ironic that these are Solomon's words, and, and, and he wrote them down, but he lived this way. And in lots of warnings, he ignored those things. So all the pieces for Solomon were there, but he wasn't putting them together to see that God was calling him and helping him to be devoted to him instead. He was forewarned of danger, but he ignored it. So Solomon lost his love even after lots of direction and insight. So how did Solomon lose his love? The process was filled simply with compromise. This is a story of compromise, of starting off strong and slowly giving in to, to little pieces of compromise along the way. One of the first examples of his compromise was that he yoked himself to unbelievers. That, that God said, I don't want you to intermarry with the nations around you. And he chose instead to then, uh, mostly out of pursuing peace, right? He would make treaties and then marry women from other countries and other, other places. And in doing so, we know the result of that was he started worshiping their gods instead, which we'll talk about in a second. But it was very important to God in the Old Testament that his people didn't intermarry with the, the people from other, other countries and other nations. He wanted them to be a group or a nation that was set apart. And it's all over the Old Testament. And uh, most of the destruction, by the way, of the Israelites that we read about in First and Second Kings are a result of these compromises in relationship with the nations around them. The direction of their love directly affected the direction of their worship. And it's an Old Testament idea that is repeated again in the New Testament. In, uh, in Corinthians, the, the church is instructed, the Christians are instructed, 
instructed, you should not be yoked with unbelievers. Same kind of instruction. You should be married to someone, or strive if you're choosing to be married, to be married to someone who is also a Christian. Married to someone who follows Jesus. Right? And for us today, they didn't have dating back then, but I think this applies to the idea of dating. Because in dating, you should probably be thinking about marriage. Otherwise, you're just, you should be playing for keeps, right? If you're thinking about dating, you should be playing for keeps. Otherwise, you're just playing. You know what I'm saying? Or you're just playing yourself. You're, you're missing something. So when you're, when you're dating, there should be conviction there and thinking about the future. And Christians should marry and date other Christians. And not just the name Christian. Okay, they, they go to a church or they, they have Christian in their Facebook status. But a Christian is someone who's devoted to following Christ. Who has people in their life that are helping them grow and to know God. Who are committed to community. Who have repented and have been baptized in the name of Jesus and have the Holy Spirit. These are the requirements for the kind of person that a man or woman of God should be intertwined with. And this isn't a new teaching. This, this is like old school. But it's like 2,000 years old school. This has been God's vision for his people that they be set apart. And it really does make sense. It makes sense that when, when, when you're on the same page, when you're devoted to God, when you have the same convictions, that you're going to help each other along the way. Otherwise, there's, there's, there's friction that, that causes more and more challenges. And all of a sudden, your devotion to God gets splintered along the way. That's what we see in Solomon. So God's command isn't just about keeping the peace, but it's actually about helping us to, to live our best life, to live life to the full by being devoted to him, even in who we choose to be devoted to in our romantic relationships. And I'm so inspired by those in our church here that have held on to this truth, who have chosen to say, you know what, there, there are many options out there, but I have a conviction that the person I'm going to be with is a person who follows God who loves God, who, who holds to God's word. I'm inspired by you that have chosen to do that and, and choose to continue in that way. The church here sees you. I see you. And more importantly, God sees you. And he promises in Luke 14, he promises blessing both in this life and the next because of your commitment to him. That was one of the, the shortcomings of Solomon. But along the way, it wasn't just the intermarrying, but where the intermarrying led to. He started to make compromises. He started worshiping other gods. And you might think, I've thought this way before, is that really that big of a deal? Maybe you're like, no, I never thought that, James. What's wrong with you? <laughs> you're, now you're concerned. But no, you might be thinking, okay, what, why was that such a big deal to God? It can almost be like, well, is that rooted in, in racism or xenophobia, that you're afraid of these other traditions or cultures around you? But God didn't want them worshiping these other gods because the way that they worshiped these other gods, one, they weren't real gods, and so God wanted us to follow truth. But also, the way that people worship these false gods led to terrible things. I'll give you one example. I don't want to gross you out too much, but the, uh, the god Malek of uh, one of the nations that I read earlier, they worshiped him in, in the idea of child sacrifice. And so the idea, again, I don't want to get into too many details, but what you would do is you would boil your firstborn alive so that you could have more children in the future. And so this is Solomon. Just think about this. It, it actually, it's tragic, but it also breaks my heart because it shows what compromise leads to, right? Okay, I'm, I'm intermarrying. Okay, now I'm worshiping this other God. And all of a sudden I'm taking part in these practices that are so horrific. There's a reason why this is detestable practices of false gods. So we see why God took this so seriously. And we see what compromise does to us. I don't think anyone wakes up and says, okay, I'm done following God. 
Okay, and no one wakes up and says, okay, I, I put in my schedule, I'm, I'm scheduled for an affair today. Pr prayerfully not. But it happens with little decisions along the way. And all of a sudden, you're miles away from where you thought you were, and you're thinking, how did I get here? That's what compromise does, and we see it in Solomon in his story. Then it also says that he f uh, held fast to sin. Nevertheless, he held fast to them in love. That he chose to love uh, people and what he wanted instead of choosing to love God. And it affected his devotion to God in the process. What about us? You know, the way that we get tempted hasn't aged. It, it's not different than how Solomon or even how Adam and Eve were tempted in the, in the garden. God, um, God has called us to, to follow his will, but instead we have uh, different desires and we disorder them and we follow these disordered desires and we want them our way instead of God's way. That's kind of the age-old way of temptation. Um, it's the same stuff, a disordered desire that's based on a lie. You will be happier if... That's the age-old lie. You will be happier if you choose this. You will be more content. You will be more satisfied. You will be more at peace if you do blank. And that lie that goes against God's will, whatever the blank is, when it goes against God's will, it slowly deteriorates our faith. And by the way, it's solely based on what you think. As if your inner intuition is the most accurate map of your own happiness. We kind of just think, I know my own happiness better than God, my creator, might know my happiness. And we miss something. No one sins out of duty or discipline. We sin because we believe a lie about what will make us happy. Ignatius of Loyola defines sin this way. An unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. Sometimes we're afraid of this because we're like, okay, I know God didn't promise to make me happy. But we're letting God define that happiness. And so sin is, is an unwillingness to trust that God wants what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. I know better than God what will make me most happy. This is Solomon's story, and if we're not careful, this can be our story, and it can crush or pull apart our faith. So lastly, what happened when Solomon lost his love? Well, he left, left the legacy of idolatry and sin to his children. The nation becomes in turmoil, marked by civil war. What he leaves behind is not simply the temple of God that he was tasked to build, not a faith, but he leaves behind compromise after compromise. And get this, it remains for 300 years. Wow. You know the story of King Josiah? Uh, King Josiah was famous for finding the book of the law in the temple. It had been forgotten. And he finds it. He goes out and he takes down all these, these statues to false gods, all these temples that were dedicated to false gods. One of those is written about here. It says, The king also desecrated the high places that were east of Jerusalem on the south of the hill of corruption. The one Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the vile goddess of the Sidonians, and Kemesh, the vile god of Moab, and for Melech, the detestable god of the people of Ammon. So Solomon built these altars in his compromise, and they stood for 300 years. His, his decision, his compromise didn't just affect him. That's what we tend to go by. Is this affecting me or maybe my immediate sphere? But his decision affected thousands, if not millions of people over the course of history. Our compromise is never in a vacuum. We are the result of decisions thousands of years before us. And the decisions we make and the commitments we make to God have the ability to alter the destiny of so many others. Sit on that for just a second. What kind of legacy are you leaving? What kind of legacy do you want to leave?
You know, are you okay with just, hey, things are going okay in my faith. Is that the legacy you want to leave? Things are okay. I, I think things are fine the way they are. They're not great. I could always be doing blank more, but I think things are okay. If that's the legacy that you're leaving, it's not a legacy of following Jesus. It's actually a, a legacy of rebellion against what Jesus calls us to. And so it may seem like it's okay, but that leads to compromise, compromise, compromise. 300 years down the line, it's hard to think of what life would be like 300 years down the line. But our impact it can be massive when we choose just to settle and resist against this call to go all in. Ultimately, not only did it affect his legacy and his, his family and things like that, it also affected God and his heart. Read these words with me here. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude and you've not kept my covenant and my decrees which I've commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Do you see God's heart laid out there? He's broken heart. He says, I've given you this and this and this and this. And you've squandered my blessing because you didn't trust me. You've squandered because you compromised in what you were doing. God repaid Solomon's divided heart with a divided kingdom and left him with only one tribe. So the autopsy report is this. A love lost comes at a cost. There's no vacuum for the decisions that we make, but the love lost ultimately came with the cost. When he chose over and over again to compromise, the cost was that he lost out on his love for God. So this, this morning, again, if you're visiting with us, we don't, we don't go here all the time, although I think it's helpful to have some times of sobriety to look at what not to do. So 1 Corinthians 10 is kind of where we'll, we'll land here, and then we'll take a break, and hopefully you guys got the memo on, on the newsletter or Facebook, but we're going to extend service just a little bit to have some time of vision and prayer and things like that. But before that, I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verses, uh, we'll start with verses um, 11 and 12. It says this, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. We got to read stories like this in the Bible. We can't say, wow, Solomon, that was one jacked up dude. I'm glad I'm not like that. We, we, we can't do that, although it's easy to do because you're like, 700 wives? Okay, wow, that's, that's overkill, right? Um, but instead we have to say, okay, how can I do the same? If I'm not careful, how can compromise creep into my life and cause me, not in a decided way, but in a slow creak to turn away from the God that I love. How has God blessed you? Think about this for a second. How has God blessed you? How have you responded to that blessing? To those blessings in your life? Is there something that is dividing your heart? Is there something that's pulling your heart away from God. And even consider, how does this make God feel? In the Old Testament, we get, we get it written down, how it makes God feel when we choose a divided heart or a divided life. But with this, I want to share some good news as well. That's back to this passage. The rest of that passage in 1 Corinthians says this. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Meaning, 
what you're dealing with, people all throughout the history of humankind have dealt with those same struggles. So we have answers and insight. And we know God's heart. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Brothers and sisters, our God is faithful. Though we might struggle with a divided heart, God's heart towards us is undivided. And his love for us remains. If you feel convicted, as I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to be, when we recognize that something might be wrong, hold fast to this. God is faithful. It is not too late to be all in. It is never too late to course correct and to get that love back. Do you believe this? Do you believe that it's not too late to, to deal with whatever might be dividing your heart and turn back to God? Do you believe that God still wants your heart? Do you believe that God wants to use you? Do you believe that God is continually setting you up for success? And do you believe that he is faithful no matter what? That is our God. He's never stopped and he will never stop being all in for you. What we're going to do right now is we're going to uh, take a, a moment. We're, I asked Josh to play some music and I'll pray in just a second. But I want you to just take a few minutes and reflect. Reflect. Sometimes you hear a lesson, you go home, you're like, what was it about again? And it, happen, it happens to me. I'm like, what did I preach about again? It, it happens, right? But take a second, just while we're here, Let's have a moment just to reflect. Is there something that may be dividing your heart? Is there something that, that God might want to be different in your life? And then how can God use your undivided heart to build up his kingdom? Reflect on these things, all those things, just one, whatever stood out to you. I'll pray for us. And, um, and then we'll, uh, we'll come back here in a moment. Father, I'm grateful. I'm, I'm grateful for your love, for your many blessings, God. That even when it, there's challenges or it doesn't feel like there's blessing, God, I know that you are watching out for me. You are a God who sees us, who hears us, and walks alongside of us, God. I know for me, I can settle. I can settle for um, a, a semi-devoted life or a life that's devoted on paper, but a heart that is, that is splintered into different directions. I know there's things that are vying for my attention and my devotion, God. I know I'm so convicted this morning, convicted as I was reading about Solomon. And I pray for us this morning that, that we, can, we can take a look. We can have some time to really chew on, on these words, on the example in Solomon. And also your heart and your desire for us to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. We love you so much. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.